Welcome to Prime Alpha's interview series, insights from industry practitioners discussing their journey and their discoveries. Hello, my name is Amanda Jogia, the CEO of Prime Alpha, an online ecosystem bringing together alternative opportunities and their investors. Matt Berry is the founding principal at Clarity Strategic Opportunities, an opportunistic real estate development and value-add investment platform. Clarity's two principals collectively have over six decades of diverse real estate and finance experience having completed acquisitions, development, entitlement, and strategic transactions valued at over $3 million. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Amanda. Good to be here. Super excited to get started. So tell us about what led you here. Tell us about your career journey. Well, it's a long journey. I guess if I go back, I don't want to go back too far, but been very independent and entrepreneurial since an early age, whether it was door-to-door sales contests with Boy Scouts or selling, I don't know what, frozen pizzas, Christmas wreaths. I sold it all, trudging from door-to-door. But then I had paper route and lawn loan service. I even started a painting company in college. But through that, I always sort of historically always loved real estate. My mom was a real estate agent for a while, and I loved going to open houses with her, seeing how they were laid out. She sort of opened that up in me. But coming out of college, I was hired to become a proprietary futures and options floor trader in Chicago. One of those guys that yells and screams on the trading floor and sort of moves the wheels, but doesn't necessarily get or ever get anywhere. And in doing that, sort of a competitive thing. I mean, our, my firm only hired Ivy League and Big Ten athletes. So I was a decathlete. I think I was the only one of those they ever had. Most of the guys were football players or basketball players. But on the trading floors, I think after five years of yelling, it became clear that I wasn't going to make millions of dollars. And I really sort of a, a personal awakening, realizing that my personality was pretty risk averse and it just wasn't going to work for me. So I left there to go to work for a mutual fund company. This is really a small slice of my life where I ended up in a corporate environment. I've always been someone who has sort of a big picture. I like to dive deep. Uh, things that interest me and just really get sort of what I call the 360 degree view of whatever that project is or that topic is. I mean, whether it's all different things, and we'll probably go into that later in this call. But after about a year and a half of working really hard in that corporate environment, trying just working my way up, looking to succeed, looking to move up based on my accomplishments, not on my tenure, quickly, instead of moving up, I sort of started looking for another direction, which was out. I just realized that the corporate environment wasn't a great place for me, and I wanted to be able to sort of dictate my own future. And so after about a year and a half, I had met another advisor, a financial advisor. She was looking for an exit strategy. She had a very mature business, been around for a long time. And through some miscommunication, I thought she was talking to me when she said she was looking for an exit strategy. And I suggested that to her. And after a little bit of confusion, I don't remember exactly what I said, but four weeks later, I moved from Chicago to California and became her partner. She uh, worked a couple more years and then transitioned out. And I took a nice business and really was able to transform that business through some mergers. I brought on some additional advisors over the next 15 years, transitioned it away from a broker dealer and a commission model, which just really disliked that commission way of doing business. And in that, I started sort of looping back around the real estate. I saw a lot of real estate offerings in the broker-dealer community. I saw a lot of offerings that I didn't like in the broker-dealer community. Just from the structural standpoint, it really felt like the investor was not being prioritized. And true to my nature of sort of wanting that 360-degree view of these different businesses, 
I started putting together files of the different offering documents. And so I would actually read prospectuses and highlight them and I would pick up the marketing materials and I'd see how they were running these, these operations and how they were running the deal structures and really creating sort of an understanding of how that business worked, but really not liking the way it was being offered to me in that environment. When 2008, 2009 financial crisis rolled around and the affiliated real estate collapse, I really saw an opportunity. And that was sort of a cathartic moment for me where my desire to build a gigantic financial services firm conflicted with the desire to really go into something I'd always had interest in, which is real estate. So I really felt like I saw a lot of value and just decided to do something about it. And so I put together some small offerings. I started acquiring some houses. I started flipping houses, building processes, hired a couple staff and started really building out a platform that I could scale in order to, to do it on a much larger basis. That was in about 2009. After a couple of years, institutional capital really came into the space. And by that time, I built a reasonably good-sized platform. And institutional capital was really just starting to figure out how they're going to attack this, right? And we went to the first conference that was single-family. Jeffries has put it on in, in Washington, D.C., and there's all of these people sitting up there on stage saying, well, we think we're going to figure out the bond rating and we think we can figure out how to do this at scale and we think we can figure out how to manage it. But nobody really had actually figured it out at that point. I think that was spring of 2012. By fall of 2012, we had secured a large institutional capital commitment as an operator in the space. And we signed a deal, I think, on a Monday. And on Wednesday, they wired two and a half million dollars into my personal business account and said, we'll figure out how to get accounts open later. Just get going. And so at that point, we had three employees. And within a couple of days, we were back at the auctions with cash in hand buying properties. Over the next two and a half years, we bought 1,100 homes. We averaged probably five to seven homes a day for a while there. Every one of them being bought individually. We had short sale platform. We had an auction platform. We had a online auction platform. We were acquiring, I think our largest month, we bought 150 properties. We also went from three employees to 45 employees in 120 days. We had to figure out how to get enough guys to drive about 40 houses a night to figure out which ones we were going to bid on. It was just this giant collaboration that I had to figure out how to make it all work. And it was actually just an absolute blast working huge hours, but just, just really enjoyed it. And, and at the end of the day, what was kind of fun about it is I sat back and I looked at a partner that I brought on during that time. And I said, well, nobody will ever be able to tell us that we can't figure out the details. So it, looking back on that, we were able to take a macro view, which is the housing distress is massive and then create a platform and then dive all the way down into creating processes and hiring the right people to make it to really execute on that platform. So in 2015, that portfolio was sold to Cerberus Capital. I believe still owns it today. I would never go back to that business, but I really am glad I had that experience. And we switched from there, and I think we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but we transitioned. We were really, we loved all the value we created. We created a huge amount of value in those homes and helped communities and brought people in to nice, clean, safe rental homes that were in great condition. Uh, we handled all aspects of it. So we created a property management company to manage and lease. And we still really have all that infrastructure in place today. We had to scale it back after we sold the portfolio. But 
you know, we moved on into sort of the, the next phase, which was multifamily and, and enjoyed sort of moving on to create more value in that area. So that's sort of how I got to today. That's we've been at multifamily for a while and you know, I can get into that a little bit more later. That is so tremendous. And it sounds like it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, in hindsight. In hindsight. <laughs> it's, it, was, it was something, I'm glad that I accomplished it, but I wouldn't want to have to do it again. Having been in multiple startups, like hyper growth startups, I was yeah. in one where I joined was 100 and five, six years later, it was 3,000 employees. Yeah. It's fun while you're doing it, but you're like, wow, I don't know if I have the energy to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> that specifically. Yeah. Um, so since starting your firm, how have you developed or pivoted your thesis or business and why? Our process has been to develop a macro view and then to sort of dial down into that and create a platform to execute on the macro view. Interestingly, since our initial strategy in 2009, we've pivoted twice since then, pivoted once in 15 just prior to selling that portfolio of single family homes that was stabilized, we were looking for new opportunities. We were looking into development. We were looking into senior housing, a bunch of different things. And somebody brought us an off-market multifamily property. It was 59 units. And we thought, well, this is interesting. Not you know, The institutional capital really isn't in this space. So we started developing a theory and a, and a program around that, which was family-owned, family-managed, and I call it family-stripped properties where they just they don't put any capital back into the property. They're not building new 1970s and 1980s apartment buildings, so there's really a, a zero growth in the marketplace of competing assets. We thought that managing small apartment buildings was a heck of a lot easier than managing single-family homes. And so we, we figured out sort of a program and a platform for managing those assets and as well as improving them over time. So we pivoted into the overall picture of that was 40 to 150 units, family owned, family managed. With the multifamily, it was way easier to manage it, way easier to improve it than we were used to dealing with in single family. With those properties, we were able to materially alter sort of the quality of the property the quality of the tenant experience. And with that, because of those two things, we've been able to add substantial value in the operating financial statement. Do you have a geographic focus? Our focus has been primarily the Midwest. Our platform is focused in on high-quality suburban demographics in major metro areas. So our specialty has been the Chicago suburbs, which We've really had a ton of success, have a lot of great relationships, but we've also been working on branching that out into other suburban demographics. With the same theme, these are near city areas in high quality demographics. We get higher cap rates with the same lending rates that they're getting in core metro areas. So our spread to the cap, our spread to debt is much greater in those areas as well. We've had a lot of success with that for the last six years, but probably a year and a half ago, we really felt that the pricing and availability of attractive deals, our ability to source deals off market was becoming more and more challenging. There's a lot of capital moving into the smaller asset space or what I call the mid-market mid space. So we started looking around again, sort of said, okay, if this continues, uh, we, we agree three and a half or three and a quarter or three percent interest rates is a great thing. But it's driving cap rates down. It's, and it's really sort of starting to compress the opportunity. We're always looking at a risk reward profile. How much risk are we taking for a given reward? 
And in the current marketplace, we think that there is more risk than there is reward. We can buy an asset, but if interest rates go up, the value of the asset just dropped for a new buyer. So we just really felt like we were way out on the left on a very nice margin where we we're getting a lot of reward for not a lot of risk. And in the current marketplace, that sort of that metric has changed. So we again looked for opportunities, sort of combining our interest in our past in the single family. And my business partner has a, a really extensive development history over close to 50 years of development. One of my favorite tidbits for him is he actually entitled the Island of Lanai. So he's, I think, the only guy that can say that. The last entitlement was in 1986 with the two hotels that are there. And he worked for a gentleman that bought projects around the country and really had an interest in doing public-private partnerships and things like that. So we decided to sort of combine that large-scale development experience with some of our experience in multifamily, focused in on multifamily development. But instead of large complexes, again, we think there's opportunity on infill development, redevelopment of existing properties, redevelopment of office buildings. We currently have a historic tax credit deal that we're looking at that's really amazing. We just started building a pipeline about a year and a half ago, and a lot of that's focused in the same demographic areas, high quality suburban demographics of major metro areas, we can find areas to build towns for rent, smaller direct entry apartment complexes that are sort of a boutique feel. With COVID, having a lot more people at home, there's been sort of a product change for what's in demand in the marketplace versus what's existing. We're looking on our forward going and our current program is to develop that type of a product. So. That's our second pivot. I'm sure we'll have another one in five or 10 years, but for right now, it's really been amazing. I've never considered myself to be very creative artistically. I certainly can't draw. My handwriting is illegible, but I really have sort of found my, I think there's an art to what we have done in real estate, whether it's single family, multifamily, and now, especially with development, the ability to take either a bare piece of land and from start to finish, create something out of that has been um, extremely personally rewarding. Matt, it's really interesting because there's a lot of things that you said that have really resonated. One of the luckiest things in the world is to find something that you love and that fits with your personality. Yeah. The story about your mom, which I thought was just so lovely, and really thinking about kind of the way you look at big picture and deep dive, which obviously every property, especially these multifamily units, you have yeah. to be that way. Yeah. And then the risk factor, I think you're super, super lucky. And one of the other things that I think really resonated with me is this, what you said about how you're really improving communities yeah. and, and making places a better place for people to live and really helping people afford a nice place to live. And yeah. I think that's fantastic. So I know how you help your community. How do you help your clients? That's a fantastic question because that, that really is the crux of our client is twofold, right? One is the tenant or the resident. So it's a nicer probably thing to call them. But as you just said, we really are making nicer places to live and an incredible maintenance team. The reality is 90, 95% of the problems you have with an apartment building are, are maintenance related. So on the resident side, we created really nice buildings and we created a highly responsive team as part of our property management group. That's really what drives, I think, a lot of our success there in keeping nice people and giving them a nice place to live and building relationships with those residents. 
on the investor side, that's the other incredibly important thing is we can't do any of what we're doing without investors. And from that perspective, we have a lot of investors that have been with us for a long time, best over different programs with us. Each time there's a little bit of a learning curve there, but when we lay out what the macro program is, and then we tell them how we're going to go about executing on that, you know, having that thesis or that theme that we can really focus in on is, I think, a huge value to our clients because we're educating them. They get to understand it. They get comfortable with it. And then being able to create the actual platform itself with how do you actually execute on that, being the deep dive expert, being able to answer all the questions is extremely beneficial because, you know, again, we're de-risking capital. We're looking for that risk reward profile that rewards an investor with a given level of risk and trying to reduce that given level of risk as much as as reasonable. One of the ways we do that is we spend our money first. So our first deals, our first projects, we're spending our money to go into those deals. We're spending our money to underwrite them. A lot of those deals, we write off the capital. But what we're not doing is writing off investor capital on a deal that just didn't work out. Because we've taken the time and the energy to build the processes, to build a theme, a thesis that we can execute on, we're really preserving their capital. So once we've de-risked that strategy, now we're bringing it to our investor partners with clean fee structure, which is always critical. And that fee structure really prioritizes capital preservation for the investor. And then, of course, for our benefit, eventually, it really rewards us for outperforming. Fantastic. I love the story and the natural progression. And through that progression, what do you think that are the things that you did right? That's a great question. I think one thing is we've always sort of focused on what the impact of an outcome will be on our reputation long term. Do we go in the deals and retrade them? We treat brokers with a lot of respect because that's where they're the ones who create some of the opportunities for us. But the, the biggest thing is really just putting the investor first. And that part of the reputation is critical. We're able to do larger deals. We're able to do more deals just because our investor reputation has been untarnished. And then the other thing that we've done right, and this is, like you say, it's been sort of a, a progression of learning and sort of formalizing a approach on developing that 360 degree understanding of a program or some sort of an investment thesis. So that 360 degree understanding is, is just critical. It doesn't matter if it's my overall business platform or if it's a specific apartment building that we're going to build. Having that ability is critical. And one of the things that I think I always describe my role in this as if you take a look at a hand and you look at the palm and the palm is connecting all the fingers, and each one of those fingers is, you know, sourcing opportunities, legal, operations, lending, raising capital, adding value, um, all those different aspects. There's a lot of people that do a couple of those things or they have a specialty, right? If you're a broker, you're sourcing opportunities. If you're an attorney, you're creating legal documents, but the developer or someone in my role has to have all of those aspects really dialed in in order to achieve success. And I, I think I've done a good job of that. Love that. So this is my favorite question. What do you think <laughs> is your superpower and why? Let's just say I don't have a, a superpower. But if I had one, I think psychokinesis would be just the coolest thing. Right? I mean, the chair you can see in my camera, I can move that where I need it. I can get it out of the way of the camera without even, without even lifting a finger. But I think psychokinesis, which is you can move objects with your mind, it's just, that'd be amazing. However, I think my superpower, which is not really a superpower, is really just a willingness to dive in and develop 
a deep understanding that that 360 degree knowledge base is really that's my superpower. You know, being from the Midwest, just that gold, good old Midwest work ethic, that really should be considered a superpower. I think more people would feel better about themselves if that was it. You know, it's so funny as you were saying this, I'm thinking back to all the things where I'm like some of the cool superpowers I think that makes people successful is I'm like, I'm seeing a dial up and a dial down. And I see, you know, 10,000 feet going down to 10 feet. And I could, I could see you doing this, dialing up, dialing down, going up, high up, coming down to the meat, going into the weeds and going back up. Which, and by the way, a lot of people can't do that. I really think it's a very difficult thing to do and do it well. There's a biography on William Beebe, who was a naturalist. I'm not even sure when, but, and he would go into the Amazon jungle and he would take a three foot by three foot section of the jungle. And he would get down on it and, and he would literally dissect that three foot, three by three foot section of the jungle. And that's how he made all these amazing discoveries. Cause if you're just walking through the jungle, you see the tree, you see the bird. But when you get down to that level and you see a centipede and you see these microorganisms and mold and whatever else is in the ground there, that's truly how you can become successful is by that kind of understanding. Oh my God. I think that could apply to business. It could yeah. apply to relationships. It could yeah. apply to everything. Yeah. I just thought of that off the cuff too, but it was. <laughs> I love it. it. It's really cool. Cool stuff. It, it is really cool stuff. Thanks, Matt, for your time today. Would my love pleasure. to have you back and loved hearing about your journey. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Prime Alpha's Visionaries and Innovators podcasts. As always, you can head over to primealpha.com to sign up to our email list, as well as check out our other podcasts. See you next time.